Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. A pleasure as always to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. We got plenty to talk about. And most importantly, this with so much uncertainty in the world, you're saying, is football actually going to start on time? There was concern actually just a few days ago because the players were tweeting out en masse that they're upset, they were frustrated. Well, now we have good news. The NFL on Monday offering to eliminate the preseason entirely while agreeing with the players' union on a novel coronavirus testing program for players. This is the way it's going to work. Daily testing of players, at least the outs of training camps, increasing the likelihood that all teams' camps will open fully by July 28th as scheduled. Now, previously, with regards to the preseason, they've gone from four until two games. But the NFL did offer, Mike, on Monday, zero preseason games accompanied by other player-friendly provisions. First and foremost, this is good news. They seem to be on the same page and hopefully camps can open on time, right? Yeah, I mean, they're listening. That's the most important thing, right? The players, I mean, why waste Why waste an opportunity on a preseason game? Look, the, the, the month of September, if you're a betting man, you're going to make some money in September if you just can analyze the games because there's going to be such haywire going on in September that no one's really going to know. There'll be a team upset somebody that ends up winning because the September, no, who's going to be ready to play? Let's just break down what they're talking about doing. They're talking about letting the players come back and starting phase one of the OTA days. Okay, so that's 21 days of just lifting and running with days off, okay, with days off. Then once they're done that, they're going to come back in and start phase two, which is OTA-type practices. No pads, helmets, no shoulder pads, go out there, team activity, no contact. Then phase three is 10 practices of contact with days off in between. So basically what you're going to have is you're going to have the September, if we open the season on time, which I pray we do, you're going to have a team that's going to have really no work other than just this little bit of, you know, OTA days and and teams. So it's going to be a little bit messy would be the understatement. Yeah, messy is the right word. I mean, people are skeptical. I saw Sean McVay say, of course, the Rams coach, that he's skeptical that training camp is going to start on time. Didn't give a specific reason. Just, you know, you can turn the news on and say, yeah, I don't know if it's going to happen on time. But everyone's trying to work towards the same agreement and the same piece. The big part of this is too, Mike, it's one thing to say, hey, we're going to test, but here's the numbers. Daily testing will continue as long as the rate of positive tests of players, coaches, and other team staffers is above 5%. If the rate falls below 5%, players will be tested every other day. The league expects to receive test results within 24 hours. That's been Listen, that, that's the crux of the issue right now in American society. People say, if you take a test, how quickly can you get it back? Is it within 48 hours? What is it? NFL saying within 24 hours, the first number is going to be interesting. If these guys show up to camp, Mike, July 28th, we're good to go, uh, theoretically, and all of a sudden you say, wait, 10% of guys tested positive, that's going to be alarming. But you look at the NBA. I mean, those guys in the bubble, zero positive tests. There are 364 in the bubble. The latest tests for Major League Baseball, incredibly low. Now, they haven't started traveling yet, but the point is you have to hope for not only good luck, but you hope the tests come back and they come back clean. Yeah, and here's why the 21-day OTA day off-season program is important because we're going to get positive tests. 
So that means they're going to be in, you're going to be quarantined for 14 days somewhere. And basically you're not going to miss anything. You're going to miss weightlifting. You're going to miss running. That's it. And so then you could come back and you could have a week of weightlifting and running and you could integrate yourself back in. I mean, I think this is why they set it up that way, because we know we're going to get positive tests. I mean, there's no chance we won't. We live in America, you know, and, and it's remarkable what the NBA has been able to do. It's remarkable what what soccer has been able to do. It's remarkable what Major League Baseball. You cover it every day. I mean, it's flat out remarkable. So, you know, I, I mean, that's encouraging. But here, let's look at this from a practical standpoint. You're the general manager manager of a team. You know, you just got these rules. First of all, you're really going to have a hard time. If I were a GM in the league, this is a tremendous, I would underline the word tremendous opportunity to find players. Because here's what's going to happen, AD. The coaches, because of such a small window, the coaches are going to favor the bus players. The bus players are the guys that know how to get the team bus to the stadium. They can't do anything once the bus gets there. But they can tell the bus driver where to go, right? Hey, we got to take a right here, take a left here. We're at the stadium. Like, I call them bus driver players. Rob Ryan used to have this 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 guy, and, and you know, unless he was on the team bus, we couldn't win a fucking game. We couldn't win with them, and we couldn't win unless he was on the team bus. So those, these, there, there's going to be a lot of bus players, right? A lot of bus players, and there's going to be a lot of young players who don't make teams because they can't learn what to do in such a short window. So there's a huge market. If you're Warren Buffett and you're looking at this, you're saying there's a huge market for misevaluations. There's a lot of teams. Like, I'm just telling you, Gruden in, in Oakland, give me fucking Tiger. He's going to blow more value. He's going to want veteran guys. All the young guys, if I'm scouting in the league, I'm watching the Raiders. I'm watching the Raiders. Okay, I'm going to watch all the guys that want veteran players. That's one, right? And then two, how do you evaluate your own player? MVP Mitch he can't lose his job in Chicago. How, you, you're Ryan Pace, and you're going to allow Nick Foles to beat out Mitchell Trubisky with 10 days of padded practice against no competition? That's not going to happen. Yeah, no, you're right. And, and that's where always it's tricky. People say, well, do you favor the veteran team? Because as you're pointing out, they're not going to have any games to play. It's it's going to be just hit the ground running. Let's go, right? It, hopefully guys figure out the playbook. The veteran guys, you think they've been around. They know how to condition their bodies, et cetera. But maybe you go the other way sometimes, Mike. Ignorance is bliss. Maybe some of these younger players will come in and they'll be fresher and they'll be ready to go and their bodies don't take as much time to recuperate. Maybe technically the playbook is harder to listen, et cetera, but maybe just sheer talent will win out. I agree with you. September could be fascinating. If next week we do this podcast and guys are reporting to camp, I'm very fascinated to know, will it be the veteran players who get favored or the younger players? It's going to be the vets. And I'm just telling you, there's not enough coaches who run the personnel department in a league who have enough guts to go to the running back coach and say, look, I'm telling you who we're going to play. Like fans think that happens. It don't. It happens in New England. It may happen in a couple other places, but it doesn't. So what happens is think of it this way. The middle management of the company, the coaches end up making executive decisions for the billion dollar industry. Right. I mean, it's it's really it's like unbelievable. So who does the running back coach favor? He's going to favor the guy that knows what to do. You know, the personnel's going to guy is going to favor the guy that has the most ability. So somebody's got to make a decision. And usually the head coach just goes with the, with the position coach. Well, I was a position coach once. I always wanted my own players. I wanted to call my own shots. Well, that's how organizations get screwed up. That's how things fall apart. Like the head coach and the personnel guy got to say, okay, you coach the running backs. We'll decide who you coach. 
and then make decisions going that way. There's a huge, huge margin for error in this thing because there's not enough time to watch it gets practice. You know, we'll still hear this guy's having a great camp. This guy, we'll hear all that bullshit. But how do you back it up? That's going against everybody, right? There's no way to tell. Like, here's what happens at practice, right? You're a defensive back, and, you gotta, and you're going to go one-on-one against the other receivers. You find a receiver you want to cover, and you always line up the rep against him. Unless you have the coach, which this rarely happens, right? Unless you have a coach dictate who goes against who and who tell, okay, no, 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 you're not covering him out. Bring somebody else in here. You got him. Unless you do it like a basketball game, which the good teams do, you're just going to keep convincing yourself this guy's a good player. Oh, he's good. He's good. Look at him cover. Look at him out there. He knows the plays. It's like Trubisky's going to know exactly what to do with the ball at training camp because they're going to tell him where to throw it. And so there's a huge, I'm telling you, there's a huge market here. No, you're right. And sifting through the BS is going to be hysterical. You know that people are going to say, oh, our third string receiver looks great. Yeah, that's because in, in practice, he's going against your third string corner, right? Even as you point out, initially, you're not even playing for the first week. Oh, he, he does a lot of push-ups, does a lot of sit-ups. He looks in great shape. One more thought on this, because you were the first one to mention the cap could fall by 30 to 80 million. The major issue left for the two sides, NFL and the NFLPA, is economic. How to deal with the potential drop in revenue this season and what such a decrease would mean to the 2021 salary cap. How big a challenge is that going to be? And also, somebody's going to have to pay the $75 million bill for testing. That goes into benefits. That's that, and that's usually the owners pay that. So now the owners are $75 million in the hole, which part of the running a business is you got to test your, you got to keep your people healthy, right? That's a benefit. So knowing the, knowing the owners, that's seventy five million in the hole. I mean, they're going to have to figure out a way to cover some of that too. I think they'll use a gradual incline because I think there's no way if they reduce this cap. I think Dan Graziano said it was going to go somewhere down eighty million. I mean, I was the first one to report this. It's hilarious. I get no credit for report. I wrote about it and I get no credit for it. You know, <laughs> but the reality here is. Some teams can't afford to go. I mean, there'll little be poverty in the streets if some teams have to lose $80 million off the cap. I mean, the players' salaries will dramatically decline. And the players know this. So this is a caveat the owners are using to get what they need to get. I'm sure they'll come to some resolution because it benefits the owners too. No question. It's still going to be a sticky situation. We'll see if we can make sense of it. Coming up later on here in the GM Shuffle, could the Chiefs be a dynasty and win multiple rings? Plus, Nick Wright thinks he should be GM of the Titans. And when it comes to our Sopranos quotes, that's right. We go back at Ralph Cifaretto, Joe Pantoliano, one of the all-time greats. All that more coming up here on the GM Shuffle. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus 
for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do, go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. Well, it's time to remember the Titans came down on the wire, but the Titans and Derrick Henry come to an agreement on a contract extension. A source telling ESPN's Adam Schefter, Henry has signed a four-year, $50 million contract. It's $25.5 million guaranteed. Listen, baby, they were born to run. I don't need to quote Bruce to Mike to convince him of the value of a running back. And Henry won the NFL rushing title with 1,540 yards last season, and he's posted consecutive seasons of more than 1,000 yards. As you said previously, I have no issue playing with talent, uh, as example, Patrick Mahomes. But running backs in today's NFL, we know how they can become quickly devalued, but Derrick Henry's young enough, you might say he's worth it. What do you think, Mike? Four years, 50 mil makes sense? Well, here's what I, here's how they looked at it, okay? So... I'm not agreeing or disagreeing. I'm just going to give you how they looked at it. He's making slightly more than 10 this year to preserve his rights. So he's they guaranteed him 25 over two. So it's really a two-year deal for 25. So what they did was they said, hey, if he comes back and has another good year, we'll probably franchise him again next year. So that'll cost us 13, 14 million, right, let's say. So now for an extra million, we'll get the other year, okay? I'm not sure I would have done that, okay? But the reality of it is, is they had to. They had to because here's why. You know, of this 428 touches last year, 120 of them came from week 17 on. I mean, that's a that's a huge workload. Now, he doesn't do much in the passing game. They've got to change that. But their team is built around a run game. Their offensive line, if it has to pass protect, it's over. It's done. It's, it can't do it. So they're kind of married to the system. They are truly the basketball team that can only play one style. They can only play one style. If they got to play outside their comfort zone, they're not going to win. That's why they lost in Carolina last year when they were when they were actually playing well. They went down to Carolina and lost. They can't really always play from behind. They've got to be able. Now they beat the Chiefs from behind, but the reality of it is, is they want to play and dictate tempo with their run game. I would have done it. I think to me, you know, this there, there's a stat Will Hill did on on Vison this week, uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago. He said that of the 31 running backs that have had 400 or more carries. In the National Football League, the following year, 29 of them had disastrous years. And so th- there's a high propensity for Derrick Henry to A, get hurt, B, to not have the same kind of year, and teams are going to defend him differently. So, you know, I don't like those odds. I like more versatility within my offense and definitely think he's a great player. But sometimes having a great player doesn't mean you have a great team. Correct. He had a tremendous season. He's had back-to-back seasons of more than 1,000 yards. But you've got to think he's going to have a dip. 5.1 yards per carry was the highest of any NFL running back with at least 200 carries last season. That's tough to replicate. And to your point about the, the one-dimensionality of the Titans' offense, entering the AFC Championship game, Henry had accounted for 69% of the team's total offense. Clearly, they were very much reliant on him and reliant on being a run-based football team. But clearly, everyone's got an opinion when it comes to Derrick Henry, including your boy, Nick Wright. While speaking on FS1's First Things First, listen what host Nick Wright had to say about the Derrick Henry deal. All right, I don't want to sound ridiculous or too self-congratulatory. 
But the Tigers signing Derek sure Henry work out well. to a four-year, $50 million <laughs> deal is why Nick Wright, myself, should be a general manager in the NFL. This is <laughs> so dumb. And it is why certain teams are just stuck on the treadmill. It's nothing against Derrick Henry. But the whole, the Titans, their two best offensive players, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry. The whole world said, buyer beware on giving Tannehill 92 million guaranteed as you did 30 million a year. Their justification was, well, we can't franchise him because we have to franchise the running back because you don't want to pay the running back a bunch of money. So they give Tannehill three years basically fully guaranteed at $30 million per. It's going to kill him so they can franchise Derrick Henry. And then the last minute, they're like, yeah, we don't even need to franchise Derrick Henry. The hell are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You're in the AFC Championship game. It, it, it's so it's so bad. And, and by the way, a, a third of the GMs in the league looked at this and was like, good move. Bell cow running back, three yards. It's so dumb. And I just, I don't understand how how this league hasn't evolved. So, yeah, it's why I should be a GM. Not a scout. Can't pick players out of college, no. Brian. But I can at least be your capologist. At the very least, I can be your capologist, Brian. All right, make me smarter, Mike. You've been a GM. Does Nick Wright have the credentials or the experience to be a GM? Nick and I did make me smarter. He was so in love with Adele Beckham. I mean, I just couldn't. All we ended up doing was talking about Odell Beckham every time because Odell Beckham was the greatest player in America. I mean, Nick's commentary has some validity to it. There's no doubt. I mean, you know, why would you pay a running back all this money? But what I think Nick misses and most fans miss, they see the four year 50 million. It's not. It's a $25 million contract for two years. When you hear those numbers, you can only evaluate. If he wants to be a capologist, then he has to evaluate the contract over two years. So that's that's the first that's that's part of the job description of a capologist. You got to figure out what's the cash flow for two years. How does this affect us for two years? And what are we going to get out of it? It's never what the total package is. And then the other area is what we call second order thinking. And second order thinking is what fans typically don't do. Sign the player. But they never look at the ramifications once you sign the player. Where is this going to go? Right. You know, he said in his in his dissertation they shouldn't they didn't want to franchise the running back. They did. You know, look, I think this reality of it is when you plan your team, you have to plan your team with second order thinking. It's the it's the eternal argument that that you have all the time with people when it comes to picking players and building a team. Building a team requires second order thinking. Picking players requires a line item view. I like this player I don't like. Add that player I don't. I agree with what he said. There's very few teams that have second-order thinking. It's what we talked about last week when guys are ripping Belichick because he didn't draft good. He's got six Super Bowl trophies. He drafted fucking really good. He's got six Super Bowl trophies. You're critiquing him. You've never even seen a Super Bowl. You've never been in a Super Bowl locker room. You wouldn't know what it is. And so for Nick, I, I think Nick makes valid points. Look, would I have paid Henry? No. But you got to have the balls to say no. It takes self-discipline, self-discipline. I think it was the greatest opportunity for the Titans to kind of change who they were. They've locked themselves into this is the kind of team we have to have. And they've locked themselves into it because of their offensive line. Because of their offensive line can't pass protect. Because their offensive line needs play action. Because that's how they have to win. So do I think Nick could be a GM? No, I don't. Do I think he could be a capologist? No, I don't. But I think, you know, logically he's asking questions that someone needs to ask within the building. 
And I think the only way you can evaluate this deal is it's a two-year deal. It's for $25 million. It's slightly more than if they franchised them for two years. That doesn't make it right. It's just what it is. What I would be more concerned about is the fact that the guys had all these carries, 428 touches, 120 of them after it from week 17 on, is how is he going to respond this year? That's what I'd be most worried about. Yeah, when you come off a, a gigantic season like that, 5.1 yards carry, 1,540 yards, can you hold up? I mean, he's young enough, but you're right. It's tough to have that kind of workload year to year. One more thought before we take a quick break. Antonio Brown, apparently retiring again. The former Pro Bowl receiver posting a series of tweets on Monday saying he's done with the NFL. Not the first time, of course, he's threatened to retire. Last September, he famously said he would not be playing any longer after being cut by the New England Patriots. You've reported before, Mike, that Tom Brady would love to have him in Tampa. Not sure how Bruce Arians would feel about that. But do you think A.B. is really done? I mean, I think he's Sinatra. I think he's, you know, he may make a comeback. I'm not sure he'll have a Madison Square Garden production, but, you know, I think he, I think he could, you know, you know, I think he may need Paul Anka to write him a song to get back in this, but I don't think he's, you know, look, I think the fact is he can't get someone to say he can play. He's not getting any answers from the league office, you know, based on his cases off the field, you know, the, the, the suit with the woman and everything else that's going on. He can't get any answers going on that. And I know Seattle's paid a lot of attention. Look, I know Tom Brady wants to sign him badly. You know, Now, Bruce Arians has put up the stop sign. He won't do it. But trust me, if there's any injuries in Tampa to the receivers, I mean, it's not going to stop. Brady's going to keep harping. He's, gonna, he's not going to go away. He wants the kid. He sees him for those 13 days. I don't think it's over yet. I don't think it's over yet, but I think he's frustrated. And whenever someone's frustrated like he is, obviously, they say, and he should be. Look, I'm not defending him. I know Seattle's done a lot of work on him, but there's clearly something going on behind the curtain that teams are either the league saying you can't sign him or they won't come out with a definitive what is his suspension, what is the ruling on all the issues that he has up in the air. I love the Sinatra analogy because uh, superb talent, temperamental, and he's always done it my way. Yeah, and he's and you know when he went to Australia, he got in a fight, as they say, down in Australia, all big mouth is back, right? So yeah, and it fits. I love it. Francis Albert. When we come back, uh, we continue our series, The Greatest Sopranos Quotes in the Show's History. We look at words of wisdom from Ralphie Cifaretto, plus the Chiefs dynasty. What do we think? That's next on the GM Shuffle. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. 
gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, a dynasty is awfully tough in today's NFL. We all know that, right? The 80s era 49ers, four Super Bowl wins, not a loss. The Steel Curtain Steelers in the 1970s. Cowboys won three Super Bowls in four seasons between 92 and 95. And we all know how good the Patriots have been this century with six rings. But how about Chiefs defensive end Chris Jones? He's anointing the NFL's next juggernaut, saying they're going to build a fucking dynasty in Kansas City, moments after the Chiefs held off the 49ers to win their first NFL title. Dynasties have different meanings these days, but Jones said on Monday during an appearance on KCSP Radio in Kansas City, this is only the beginning. We plan to have another parade and another parade and another parade. We're going to make sure we bring not one, not two, not three, not four, but five plus rings to Kansas City. Who does this guy think he is? LeBron James? It's been 50 years of waiting, but the wait is over. Uh, I would be skeptical, Mike, but maybe back-to-back rather than back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back. Yeah, I mean, look, you know how hard it is to to repeat in anything, and I think obviously that people talk about it. You know, there has to be, now that Mahomes got paid, now that he got paid, you know, Kelsey's going to want to get paid now too. They are the Virgil Salazzo of the league this year. They are the hunted ones. And so everybody's going to bring their A game to play them. They're going to have to play their A game all the time. You know, and for me... I thought earlier in the year there was a formula to beat them. And then that formula got disputed in the playoffs. Ball control. When the Colts beat them and the Texans beat them, they beat them because they kept the ball away from Mahomes. When the playoffs came around, that changed. That that flipped. But there are teams that can beat them. And the teams that can beat them have to be able to function really well in three game, in three phases, offense, defense, and the kicking game. We know Baltimore can do that. We know Baltimore can operate. Baltimore can't play from behind against the Chiefs. They've got to be able to play. They've got to be able to play with them, you know, from in front if they can do that. The Chargers always give them trouble. They can't close the game out. Now, I'm not saying the Chargers this year with Tyrod Taylor can. I think the Patriots could give them some trouble, you know. And we saw Deshaun Watson win in Kansas City in week three or four. So I think it's doable. Do I think anybody in the West can beat them? No, I would worry. Like, I I don't think the Raiders have built their team to beat them. I think you, you know, I had a talk with a GM in the league six months ago and, and I said to him, I said, every move you make, you have to constantly think about can this player or this move help us beat Mahomes? If Al Davis were alive, that's all he would be thinking about. Okay, can, can this help us beat him? And he, would, he may never even say Mahomes' name. Can he, this guy help us beat him? And you'd just have to know who him was, you know? You just have to know who him was. Oh, why, why, why would I sign him? He can't, he, he can't play against him. You know, like I could see, could you imagine the conversation in that draft room if he would have heard Cleanland Farrell didn't run a 40 time? You want me to take this guy and I don't know what he runs? I can't, I can't do that. I just can't do that. You know, so I, I think that that's the problem. I, I don't, I think there's a way to play him. Mickey Corcoran, Parcells' high school coach, said this all the time. There is a way to win every game. You just got to figure that way out. And I thought there was a way earlier in the year, but based on the playoffs, I'm not sure. There's a way. 
it's got to be done with three phases. It's got to be done with pace. Well, speaking of pace, with that quarterback and that nucleus, you'd never want to count out the Kansas City Chiefs. But five feels optimistic. I, I just never feel <laughs> the need guys to be so cocky publicly. But what the hell? If, if Chris Jones is feeling himself right now, why not? Speaking of a leader who was always proud and boastful, Ralphie Cifaretto, one of the all-time great characters in The Sopranos. I was listening to Joe Pantoliano, the actor who played Ralphie, on Mark Maron's podcast, said he never watched Sopranos. Mark Maron said, come on. He goes, no, I never watched it when I did it. I haven't watched it since. I told my kids, and those are grown kids now. He goes, you can't watch it. It's too offensive. It's not, it's not, I don't want to see, I want you to see your father like this. He said, when David Chase called him, he said, here's the deal. Uh, I need you for two years. Um, you're a jerk, but I mean, they're all jerks, but you're a particularly bad dude. And Tony's probably going to end up killing you at some point. We okay with this? And with that information, Ralph Cifaretto was born, an unforgettable character. You know, and, and I like how Chase crafted the character. I like how he dressed him. You know, very Ralph Lauren, you know, kind of like he looked, you know, with the ascot. He had an ascot on him. You know, I mean, it was... Yeah, the ascot was awesome. Yeah, I mean, it was like awesome. And, you know, and, and the way he, his tone, his slang, and the way, you know, he's got him involved with, with Janice. He gets him involved with Rosie April. I mean, it's just like, you know, we we know he has a kid from somebody. We're not sure. He's this classic dresser. I mean, he prided himself on being a comedian. You know, he loved Gladiator, thought he was a comedian. I mean, my favorite line is, is when Tony plays him and says, you know, whatever you decide, Ralph, it has to be done in a timely fashion. <laughs> So Tony's telling him to kill him, but he never tells him. Yeah, I mean, the, the line that gets him in trouble, which is, of course, unforgettable, is when he talks with Ginny Sack. And he says, I hear Ginny Sack's getting a 95 pal mole taken off her ass, which actually ends up being one of the best episodes, The Weight, because you see Johnny Sack, like how passionately defensive he is about his wife's weight. And he's willing, literally, he's crying bloody murder. Like when he finds out who made this joke, he's going to kill the guy. And Tony and the rest of the guy's like, dude, come on. And But it's, of course, Ralphie that would make that joke and wouldn't see how offensive it is. Not that you should get murdered over it, but you can't make a joke, but a guy's wife, right? No, I mean, it, you know, and, and it was funny. I never, do you, did you ever see Ralph and Junior kind of ever meet together? You're right. They were rarely together. Like, I don't ever remember Ralph and Uncle Junior, you know, like two comedians, like the way Chase separated them, you know, because Ralphie has, uh, you know, I mean, Ralphie has those lines about, you know, when he, when he told him, he said, yeah, well, at least I'm on time. Tomorrow you'll be stupid forever. I mean, that's probably his best line, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and then when he goes to this whole Spartacus, look at Kurt Cuglis's fucking hair. They didn't have flat tops back in ancient Rome. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a, it, it, but I never saw him with Junior because they kind of, there wasn't enough one-liners to fill up the room. But I think it was a great character. I thought he was better than Richie April. I thought he was, you know, he was a high earner. They couldn't really, what could they do with him? No one liked him. You could just see that no one really liked him, you know? And he would pick on everybody. I mean, Vito, how about when Vito's brother's in the hospital dying over there, you know, and 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 and, and Ralph's cracking jokes. I mean, it's like he's so, he had no ability to ever monitor the situation and know what to say. He oh, even when he came to the sit down with Tony and Syl to go over Paulie's fifty G's. Oh yeah, you know, remember that when 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 he when he gives Paulie the like, you know, and then Tony rules twelve five, and he's cracking jokes beginning and he's cracking jokes at the end. I mean, you could just see he he was really. 
an unlikable character that was likable. And then, you know, Tony stealing Valentina from him. He didn't give a shit, you know? And then of course, I think the horse, I mean, that's the one to me, the best, the, what I remember best about that is Tony eating peanut butter out of the jar while they're waiting to move the body. Yeah. He never actually admitted that he killed pie. Oh my, but the way he gets so upset, it was a fucking animal. My kids in the fucking hospital, I don't hear you complaining when I bring you a nice fat envelope. You don't give a shit where that comes from. Don't give me that look. It was a fucking horse. What are you, a vegetarian? Like that, that whole speech would end up leading to and, Mr. And Bob. then he adds the line, you eat beef and sausage by the fucking carload. I mean, like he's got like, always has one more dig. You know, always had that one more dig. You know, he has that great ability of insulting two or three people at the same time. That's a rare thing to have. It's a good point. And one of the most disturbing scenes ever, him and Janice, Janice sticking a vibrator up his ass and calling him a little bitch because he only earns so much money. I mean, I mean, these guys are all like demented and deranged, but he was easily the most perverted guy. A, the fact he was messing around with the boss's sister and she's sticking a dildo up his ass. I, I mean, and then and then how about when, when she was doing with, with Richie, putting a gun to his head, you know? No, it's like 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 Janice was truly the sick one. I mean, and and she dated the and, and clearly Chase felt like she needed to be drawn to the two worst characters in the show. Yes, you know clearly that. And then and then all of a sudden she marries Bobby Bacala because Bobby brings you know because she steals because she basically steals Carmela's lasagna you know with the little basil and sweet sausage in it. You know she steals that, and the next thing you know they're off to the races. Uh, it's <laughs> it's it, 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 it's the timing of it. it it's the way. That the characters. I mean, he, he's he. The dress was so good. The dress was so good. Yeah, and I think one of his most unforgettable episodes is University, season three, episode six, where he kills Tracy, the stripper. Every day, I, I drive on the, the 17 to go to work in Secaucus, MLB Network. I drive by Satin Dolls to get the sign up front, the original Bada Bing. Every time I look over, Mike, I go, oh my God, poor Tracy. That's where that's where Ralphie killed the stripper. I mean, it was that that whole scene. If you recall, he says, if we have a boy, we'll name him after me. And well, if we have a girl, we'll name him after you. And she says, really? He goes, yeah, because I want our kid to be another cock-sucking whore like their mother. Oh, my and God. I mean, it's just a, just a vile scene. She slaps him, spits in his face, and he kills her. It's incredible. I, I know. And, and then, you know, and every time he refers to her is he feels like he justifies it because she was a whore. Like, that's how he justifies killing her. Like, this is how fucked up this guy was. Like, and you got to be kind of screwed up to, to, to write him. You know, and obviously, you know, Chase knew what he was writing. I don't know who he based the character on, but there was no limits to what an asshole Ralph could get to. Oh, yeah. And that stretch, uh, season three, episode four was Employee of the Month. That's where Melfi was raped. Episode five, there was some violence against women. And then that episode six. So I remember at the time, The Sopranos was taking a lot of heat. They said, hey, there's way too much violence against women. What's going on? And to your point, David Chase said, listen, these guys are animals. I told you that. I never, I never said they were good guys. And you don't complain when there's violence against men. Now you're complaining about violence against women. They have violence against everybody. That's who these guys are. They're outlaws. They're bad people. So true. Thanks so much for checking out the GM Shuffle. As always, uh, let us know what character you want us to do. Of course, we're, we're building up to Tony, but so far we've had fun going through Silvio and Junior and Paulie and all the rest of them. By the way, Mike is on Instagram. You can follow him at MLombardiNFL. Same as his Twitter handle. You can follow me, Adnan S. Burke. You can also follow our show's Instagram page, at the GM Shuffle. Closing thought is this. As we tape this on a Tuesday, it'll be released Wednesday. A week from today, Mike, our training camp's going to start on time. Training camps will start on time. They just won't be training camps. They will be the start of the off-season program. <laughs> there it is. Everything's getting pushed to a later time. But yes, they will report. We shall see. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>